Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Tonight's reading is from Galatians and it's chapter 5, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 10 which is page 238 and 239 ah, of the New Testament. Sorry, I've got a different Bible from you. Um, but it's up on the screen. Freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The, ma- the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, everybody. It's really good to be here. Um, Natasha did ask me to do a little bit of an introduction to myself um, because uh, Ros and I, Ros is at the back, were here at Emmanuel for 15 years. We uh, came here in 1997. Uh, My sons were christened here. One of my sons is at the back. He's a lot bigger now. And... um, yeah, I think Adrian, I think Adrian uh, christened you, uh, Ollie. Um, I really enjoyed being part of this church. It was a real big uh, step in my walk with Christ. Um, a lot of things I learned and was challenged with over this. Why did we leave? Because we only live in Catrum, where we really felt God was calling us to get involved in, in our local community and to be at a local church. Uh, people often say, well, why did you leave? Well, we were called to be in a different place. Uh, but I have fond memories of this place and fond memories of being here. I, um, I want to let you know that in the journey that I had in this church, it was a sermon by Trevor that moved me on. And he preached um, on David and Goliath. And one of the things he stated in that sermon was, most Christians live their lives like practical atheists. And I thought about that, and that was a, it was a bit of a nail into my soul, that statement. What does that mean? It means I believe in God. If you say, challenge me, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I walk with him. But actually, in my everyday life, was I really walking with him? Now this passage that we're going to come to is really about that. It's really about that. So I'm going to, um, oh, I should say, I'm also Chief Executive of International Needs. Part of I should say that. Um, we have a couple of trustees here. Well, they're going to kill me afterwards if I don't even talk about that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Chief Executive of a, a Christian mission development organization. We work in about 30 different countries around the world. We're part of a network and one of the most beautiful things about this network, it's truly multinational, multiracial, multilingual, 
and it's an absolute privilege to be part of it and to work in that field of development. I'm going to use a couple of stories from, from our work to illustrate this passage that we're going to look at. So let's look at this passage together. I really hope you're enjoying the book of Galatians. I notice it's quite dark in here, so you probably don't have a Bible. I'm going to say, but put your thumb in, in this passage, because it's a big passage to look at. And perhaps you read it on your phone, perhaps, or something like that. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was, what is the overall message that we're trying to convey here? And I was thinking about an image that would perhaps show and picture you really what we're driving at. And one of the things that I love doing as, uh, is walking. And my brother introduced me to um, a wonderful place to walk. And there's a picture of it coming up on your screens as we speak. I wonder if you know where that is. Well, actually, my brother's here, but he's not going to allow to answer that. Anybody? Anybody a fell walker? Anybody love walking? The where, sorry? The Alps? No. No, this is the Kulin Ridge. This is on the Isle of Skye, and it's a ridge that uh, if you've ever been there on a beautiful day like that photo, you can look westward and you can see all of the Outer Hebrides, Lewis and Harris, and you can look eastward the other side and you'll see into mainland Scotland. It's beautiful. And to walk that ridge, my brother introduced it to me and I'm forever grateful to him for doing that. Uh, you can see there's a climber there on what's called the Inn Pin, the inaccessible pinnacle. You actually have to use ropes to get to that bit. What on earth am I talking about this for? What's this got to do with Galatians? I look at our Christian walk, the walk that you and I have when we come to Jesus Christ and we've repented of our past and he's accepted us, he then takes us on a journey with him. And I find that journey difficult. I don't know if you do. And it's good that it's difficult. Because... Either side of that ridge is about a thousand foot drop. If you have one misstep, you can fall a thousand feet one way and a thousand feet the other way. It's exhilarating when you're walking it. It's the most adventurous thing. It's one of the most adventurous walks I've ever done. Either side is what Paul would talk about as the spirit and the flesh. Or, sorry, he would talk about the flesh one way is we go in to try and use rules and legalism to help us live the Christian life, or the other is that we completely abandon any restraints and we just do as we feel. These were the two things that Paul is trying to sum up. I don't know if that picture's worked for you, but I hope that it will start to amplify what we're talking about. Christianity is difficult. This is why Chesterton in his book, What's Wrong with the World, wrote these words. That Christianity has been found difficult and left untried. You know, I found that really remarkable when he read that, when he wrote those words. So what is it that the difficulty that is being experienced here in, the, in Galatians and that Paul is writing to, so animated as he is, so you've been through all the chapters, we've now come to chapters 5 and 6. In chapters 1 and 2, 
Paul is defending himself as an apostle, the authority to be able to meet these Gentile Christians in Galatia. And he's reminded them what the gospel is. He's reminded this is the gospel, that Christ has died, lived, died, and resurrected. And by his actions, we are freely given grace to enter the presence of God and to live with God, as we should have been. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's given to us. And Paul is so disturbed because from what was this message of freedom and grace, some other people have come along and they've said, actually, what you need to do to now live this Christian life, you need to apply some rules, Jewish ones. And we'll, we'll explore a bit about that. But just think about that now. That whatever you have done in your past, however you have lived your life, whatever actions you regret in your life, Christ offers you this chance to completely be set free of those and to come to him freely. You know, it's the most exciting thing about following Jesus is that he loves us and accepts us because of what he has done for us. But he doesn't want us to just leave us there. He then wants us to walk with him. And walking with him can sometimes be difficult because he will challenge what Paul calls our flesh. He will challenge the way we think about things, our attitudes. He will challenge them and he will shape and form us. And he does it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking to us. It's a free gift to us. You know, if you're not a Christian here tonight, God offers you this chance. And it's just something that you are given. You don't have to earn your way into that place. And you know, when you're given a gift, what do you do when you're given a gift? Do you say, okay, well, how much did that cost? Well, here's uh, a tenner. Will a tenner cover it? That's a bit of an insult, isn't it? When you're given a gift, you reach out your hand and open it. And you receive. That's what Paul would call conversion. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he then takes these Gentile Christians through a little bit of a history of the Old Testament. And, uh, but what he culminates in, and this most beautiful verse, he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, because all are one in Christ Jesus. This multilingual, multinational, multiracial family of followers of Jesus. It's beautiful. And then he then takes them on a bit of a lesson in the Old Testament. Talks about the law, but before the law was a promise given to Abraham. And the promise was that through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And through Abraham's faith, not his works, not how he achieved anything, through his faith in believing God, that that promise would come to fruition. And you end up now into chapters 5 and 6. So you've been a whole lesson, and a lesson on the history of the Old Testament. Paul at his most animated, most annoyed, most perplexed in a way. You can read his emotion into the words. And then you come to chapters 5 and 6. And this is the application. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we engage and live.
and go on. You know, this problem of um, the Judaizers, it's an interesting problem. There were these missionaries from Jerusalem coming along to these Gentile Christians and saying, it's not enough that you just have accepted Christ, you've accepted his free gift of salvation, it's not enough because to live now, you need to apply law and Jewish law. You need to actually become Jews. It's a really complex thing. And let me tell you this, this isn't an isolated incident. If you've read Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 15 that Paul, the council of Jerusalem, faces this very issue. And he comes to them and he says, what, should we make Gentiles Jews? This messianic movement. And of course the council eventually, after much debate it says, and I, I can read much disagreement and much probably shouting, I would suggest, in that, in that council. They, they agree that Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to live the life of the gospel. It makes me think that this particular letter was written before the Council of Jerusalem. Otherwise, Paul would have referred to it, to the Galatians. But probably as a direct result, the Council came out. Think about this as well. Paul was eventually executed in Rome, under Nero. But how did he get there? Because Jewish Christians, Messianic Christians, gossiped to very conservative Jews in Jerusalem and said, this man is preaching against the law of Moses. This very issue is the direct result of Paul's execution in Rome under Nero. Think about that. This very issue of being free in the gospel and how we should now live was directly responsible for the execution of the Apostle Paul. So it's a problem that hasn't gone away. So let, let's just delve into this a bit. What is it that is the issue at hand? So it's freedom. Freedom, I want to take you through three points. Something to be gained, freedom. Something to be lost, freedom. And a new way to live. So when you think about freedom, what do you think of? That word, what does that come up in your mind? What are you thinking about now when you, you see the word freedom? I often wonder, because as I thought about this, and thank you for giving me such a challenging topic, by the way. As I thought about this, freedom is not easily defined, is it? The only way we can define it is by saying what it's freeing us from in order to define it. So, um, you know, when, when Franklin Roosevelt was uh, speaking to Congress in 1941, his famous speech, he said that he declared the four freedoms. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom from want, freedom from fear. And from the basis of that speech, the United Nations was born and we have the 1948 Declaration of Human Rights. And now we have the Strategic Development Goals, and if you look at that, you'll see 16, you'll see that's all about freedoms, all based on that speech. But that's political freedom, that's national freedom. Is this what Paul was talking about? Or you might think about philosophical freedom, mankind's striving to be free. You know, the interesting thing is, of course, as we went through the Enlightenment and then up to the point of the 19th and 20th century, Freedom was defined by divorcing ourselves from God. Frederick Nietzsche said, 
that God is dead, his famous philosophical argument, that actually for mankind to be free, we need to be rid of God and the notion of God. And then Jean-Paul Sartre, that wonderful father of the postmodern age, says, well, we need no more God because if there is no more God, we are now conceive of ourselves however we want to conceive of ourselves. Interesting, isn't it? That we're now reaping the fruit of that philosophy in our lives today. But I want to say to you that I think freedom that Christ is talking about here is internal freedom. It's not political freedom. It's not philosophical freedom. But it's internal. It's freedom of conscience. Um, I want to talk to you about two different illustrations from my work that will give you some idea of this. They're physical illustrations of what happened to people, real people, but they are a spiritual example. And the first I wanted to show you is a lady called Brigitte. Now, Brigitte uh, was featured on the BBC just a couple of years ago. You actually, if you, can, if you go to the BBC website, you'll see this story, Brigitte. We have a work in Ghana, International Needs Ghana work. Um, and when they started their work in the 90s, they worked with a slave cult called the Tricosi Slave Cult. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's in the upper Volta region, specifically in Ghana. The idea of this slave cult is that if you have a problem repeating itself in your family, like Parkinson's disease, or the fetish priest of the, of the, the village will say, this is because your great-grandfather stole some earrings. And the only way to break those curses of the gods is for that family to give a virgin daughter and separate themselves from her completely to the parish priest, or to the, parish, <laughs> to the fetish priest. There's a Freudian slip. To, a, to the fetish priest. And they separate themselves and sever themselves from their family. They become the slave of this priest. Now, Brigitte, I spoke to her, she, in 2015 she was working at anti-slavery in, in London. She went from being a daughter to being a slave. Now somebody on that uh, CNN newscaster spotted her as she was being interviewed on television as a nine-year-old. She was nine years old when she was enslaved to this priest. Spotted her and rescued her and adopted her and she gained an education, she became his daughter. And she came back and then she was reunited in this BBC documentary with her real family in Ghana. What is, the, what is what I'm trying to say here? Is that we are enslaved. And we've been singing about it. And you always wonder, are we really believing what we're singing about often? There were beautiful songs we were singing. We're enslaved by the power of sin. By the power of us doing what we want to do when we want to do it. By the power of us ignoring God in our life. And we're enslaved to it. And Christ is setting us free from that. As he set, as Brigitte was set free by International Needs Ghana and the work that they were doing, she went from being a slave to a daughter and a son. Amazing. The next example I want to talk to you about is freedom of conscience. And it's a picture of uh, Nepal. 
Now, there were a team here from Emmanuel that came to this very village. In fact, you might even spot Michael King in that picture. The reason I've taken that picture is not a brilliant one, because right at the back is Pastor Bell Rocker, and he's a Dalit. That's, he's a very low-caste uh, Nepali. He's what they call unclean. The lady in the foreground is a Brahmin. She's the highest caste. And prior to the, to the work in this village and the work of the planting of the church, these two people would never, ever associate with one another. Never. Their consciences would not allow them to do it. The social rigid structures of the caste system in Nepal stopped them from ever eating with each other, dancing as we were there. In fact, there's another picture of Phil Fifield dancing with Pastor Rocker, which I'll show you another time. What's this got to do with what I'm talking about? Because the gospel changes everything. It changes the way we think about ourselves. And when we understand we are made in the image of God, we are then free to follow him. Free in our conscience. Free from the burden of anything in our past. And we have a free conscience, just as these two have a free conscience now in front of all the village of Hindus to eat together, to dance together, and to celebrate together. She's now part of the church that is planted in that village in Nepal. And it was such a privilege to the group here from Emmanuel to see that. Freedom is a relationship with God made clear to us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We are free from the curse of the law, from the power of the law, and we are free in Christ. But the issue is, we can lose our freedom. These Galatian Christians, who were Gentiles, could lead, could lose their freedom. How are they losing their freedom? You know, Paul talks about the flesh in this passage. What does that mean, the flesh? And I want to tell you that what it means is everything that we try to do to live this life as a Christian outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everything that we try to do, what seems wise to us, what seems like good practice, everything that is not living in the Spirit is the flesh. And clearly the Galatians were losing their freedom. You know, understanding why these Judaizers was doing, were doing what they were doing and it's so annoying and upsetting Paul. But what they were simply saying was, it's not enough. It's not just Christ, it's Christ plus. It's Christ plus these laws. Christ plus. Why were they doing it? Well, there were some cultural reasons. The Jews' identity was very at stake. Their identity, they wanted to expand the Jewishness across the Gentiles who were embracing what was seen by the Romans as just another sect of Judaism. It was creating problems for them politically. This well-known Jew, Paul, was representing a religion that the Romans were then making illegal. And it would make it politically unstable for, for the Jews. 
And humanly speaking, these Judaizers were saying, well, it's great that you've become Christians, that you've, you've accepted Christ's free gift of salvation, but now to live a life, you need moral restraint. You need these laws to practice them. It's a very human thing to do, isn't it? To think, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and this is how I'm going to do it. And it doesn't mean that discipline is missing. That's not what I'm saying. Disciplines are good if we take them on. But Paul says, live in the Spirit. That was just too loose for these Judaizers. You know, what's going to stop these people from becoming incredibly immoral? if it isn't law. Do you know, I, I wonder how you would think in Emmanuel, are you losing freedom today? How are you losing freedom? I, I doubt there's probably many Jewish people telling you to cover your heads when you read the Old Testament. And guys, I gather there's probably not people challenging you to become circumcised or eating kosher foods or obeying the, the seasons and the, the, the holidays and the dates. But how are we losing our freedom? Because it's very easy to lose. Think of that ridge, walking in the Kulin Ridge. A thousand foot drop either side. It's very easy to take a step and fall off into legalism or into license. Paul says, walk in the Spirit. And he then says in verse 6 that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But all that counts in our walk with Jesus Christ is faith working itself through love. You see, freedom itself, if we express our freedoms, and we prayed that in the prayers tonight, to the extent that I want to be as free as I want to be, my freedom will impinge on your freedom. Case in point, insulate Britain. Their freedom to protest might impinge on your freedom of thoroughfare. Freedoms expressed individual, when we all talk about it in our modern way of thinking about freedom, is the secular view of I want to be who I want to be whenever I want to be it. That's not what Paul is saying. Life in the Spirit constrains us. And how does it do that? Faith working itself through love. A new way to live. Life in the Spirit. I love this. When I got married to Roz in 1992, we fell in love. It's a good start for a marriage. We fell in love. We got married and then our freedoms were constrained by our love for one another. I couldn't just, honey, I might be home in a couple of weeks, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going out with the guys. So I'm just going to do my thing as I've done it. You know, the love that we had for one another constrained us. Our freedoms were removed in one sense, but our love for one another grew. Now, I want you to think about that in the life that you live as a Christian. 
as we learn to walk in the Spirit, we learn to love God. And God transforms us through the process. We will continually change. And we will continually change towards the fruits that are being demonstrated that were read. And they will be evidenced by peace, joy, self-control, faithfulness, goodness. I've missed a couple. Remember, he's telling this to a church. That if you follow the way of legalism, if you follow the way of the flesh, you will see dissension, rage, fits of jealousy, division. You'll see immorality emerge. But if you follow the way of the Spirit, and you learn to walk in the Spirit and love Him, He will give you that freedom to follow Him. It's not license. It's not law but it's living in the Spirit. I, um, I wondered sometimes, you know, because I do find living the Christian life difficult. I'm really happy to admit that. Luckily, I'm not, a, I'm not the vicar, so I don't have to pretend I'm this person. I do struggle with patience. I do struggle with being slightly angry sometimes. I do struggle with my own prejudices. But I know that as I walk... In the Spirit, with Jesus Christ, He is transforming me and changing me. And I'm learning to love Him more and more. He gives us the power. The Spirit doesn't just leave us to try these things on our own. The Spirit gives us power to live this life. James, the book of James, he says that you've been given everything you need to be able to live a godly life. But you will have trouble in this life when you live that way. You will have trouble. My mum has a mower, and um, it's often broken. This mower, but when we were at home, I used to mow the lawn for her. And this mower that she was using was just rubbish. I mean, you had to—it was a fly mower with you kept cutting the cord and mowing the lawn. She bought this. Uh, petrol mower it was fantastic and I watched her one day she was using this petrol mower and she would start it and she was pushing it and pushing it and pushing it it was running it was cutting the grass it was fine but she was worn out after doing two lines of the lawn I said mum have you just learnt to pull the lever in that releases the clutch and as she did so it pulled her forward all of a sudden and she couldn't quite control it the Spirit gives you the power to lead a godly life. Trust the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. You know, the Jews, of course, this progressive revelation of God, they began to understand that there was no more temple, that there was no more religion limited by Hebrew. It became this multiracial, multilingual, multinational family of followers of Jesus. And you can see this just emerging in the Old Testament. As you look at it, it's packed with the messages of freedom emerging out the Old Testament. I love this verse from Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, says the Lord. I better finish there. John Stutt says in his summary commentary, we have Christ through his apostles to teach us Christ through his cross to save us and Christ through his spirit to sanctify us. Go back to that image of the Kulin Ridge. Think of it. It's very easy to drop off either side, isn't it? But when you walk in the spirit, it's exhilarating. It's adventurous. And it's what Paul was calling these Galatians to them, to that life. This gospel is so important. It's so important than ever before. In the time that we live now, we, live, we need wisdom. But we need the gospel to change what we think about ourselves and how we think about others. And we need to understand how to walk in the Spirit. I want to just show you a quick video just to give you a little bit of why I love what I do. And why it's so fantastic to be part of a family of multilingual, multinational, multiracial believers of Jesus. So I'm going to ask Ian if he can play that video. disciples was in confusion, in disarray, in loneliness, and even in crisis. They heard a voice of an angel speaking from God, saying and telling them, I have given you power, power to reach people, power to reach the marginalized poor children, parents, and even the lost. The power and the authority of the Holy Spirit is there with us, giving us wisdom, giving us direction, achieving our purpose. Now we say that the Holy Spirit is really strengthening us. Because we know that uh, in this kind of time, it's not easy. The fate of more, most people are failing apart. Young people who didn't care about sin, they are scared because they are seeing their parents dying and friends dying. However, despite of all the difficulties and persecutions, our Lord is at work and His work is proclaiming in our country. Through our ministries, churches, church plantings, next generation ministries, His faithfulness and goodness are with us. So many people who are distressed, so many people who are sad, so many people who are sick, 
they heard the gospel. They heard the good news that Jesus is the only one who can save. Jesus is the only one who can heal. We work among the Syrian and Iraqi refugees. We visit them in their camps. We help them with food uh, boxes, and uh, we we pray for them, and we give them hope, and we we accept them as they are. And we did this for many years, and many of them were baptized. And there are now around 1,000 Christians, born again Christians from Syria and Iraq. And so for the next generation, we think that it is going to be a generation that is open to hear the word of God. One of the great things we achieved, this curriculum uh, for the children, thousands of, of kids, they are learning the word of God from this uh, curriculum. Hundreds of churches in Egypt and all Arab countries, they are using our curriculum. And this is the only curriculum available in the Arabic language uh, to teach uh, this age. I wish we could come to you and share to you about the lives of each of these children. It's such an amazing thing to see the transformation in these young girls, young men's lives. And we believe no matter what, he will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's such a joy to see how a person may flourish when they get to know Christ and they have their sins forgiven and they have hope. IN's ministry has touched many people. We may not be able to give the statistics at the moment, but if you consider children that came through our schools, we may have quite close to about 10,000 young people who have been touched by the Lord. And if we talk about people we have actually reached the gospel, we've had many communities reached by the gospel. And we can also count in thousands people who have actually gotten to know the Lord through the ministry of IM. The great thing about international need is that it is not out of ministry or out of business, but out of relationship, out of love, out, uh, out of friendship. This is my journey and my relationship with international need. They are very faithful to us through all these years, 25 years. They never um, uh, brought any agenda, but they are standing with our vision and supporting the vision that the Lord gave us in Egypt. Thank you very much, International News. Thank you very much, all our partners, all our churches. Pray for our Nepali people. Pray for the Nepali church. You may not be able to come to Nepal as a missionary, but you can be a missionary on your knees, praying for Nepal, so that in the days to come, millions more would come to the kingdom of God. In Romans 10.14, we can read, And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them?
We have been here to proclaim the word of God so that it can penetrate their heart to change them eternally. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.